Welcome to the Leader Think Podcast, where we discuss personal growth, human performance, and culture change. This is your host, Philip Grison. Thank you for joining me on this path. I hope you enlighten others along the way. All right. Hey, everybody. I'm a little bit different today. We've been talking about mental health all month long, and we've talked a lot about the need. We've talked about uh, some opportunities for training out there. Um, We've talked about a lot of theory and um, looked at it from both sides, system influence and focusing on the worker. But today we just wanted to create a mental health toolkit of just things you can practice. And um, I invited my two favorite construction safety people, Shelly McCoy and, and Rob McKinney, um, because they both understand construction. And, and when we're talking about mental health, it's good to have people that are in the industry and know these specific challenges we have. Um, and, and both Shelly and Rob, I know they practice these things. And, and so one reason I wanted to bring them on board is, um, you, you know, uh, there's a lot of techniques out there and people share them in their own unique way. And, and it's always funny to me how, Two different people can teach the same concept in a different way, and one person latches onto one style, different person latches onto another style, and it's like, do you like System of a Down or Blink-182, and, and which one do you relate to? And so I, we might share the same concepts, but in different ways, and um, so that's why they're here today, so we can get different perspectives on it. But that's what we want. We want you to have a, just a toolkit to draw from of things you can practice and teach people out there so we can get that suicide suicide rate down. Okay. Hey, uh, um, Shelly, haven't seen you in a while. She's been on the podcast before. And Shelly, who are you with? I'm with Georgia Utility Contractors Association. All right. And Shelly is uh, one of those deep minds that I love having conversations with. And Rob? So I currently work for the Associated General Contractors of Georgia. So we're both coming to you from the trade association side of the table in the safety community. Love it. Love it. Okay. All right. So let's start with breathing techniques. And um, uh, Rob, I know you've been really passionate on some stuff you've been doing with Dr. Hickerson. So why don't you share some breathing exercises that you do to help manage mental health? You know, we talk about this breath thing. It's interesting, Phil. You know, you and I have talked a little bit, and Shelly, you and I talked. Even in our circle of safety trust, it is really interesting just still how much of, I call it the side eye, I get when I bring up breath work. Uh, Breath work, what do you mean? I breathe all day. Yeah, well, let's dive a little deeper. And as I've really done a lot of research the past year and talked to so many people, I've come across what I've kind of put together, my little playbook of, you know, I have a basic little breath I do almost every day on the hour. That That's the one that I learned from Dr. Seth is he calls it a BAMO breath. So B-A-M-O, and that stands for breathe and move on. And the thing that he helped really teach me more so than anybody was it's when we're thinking about breath work, it's not just that you're you're breathing. It's that you are intentionally breathing. And so his, his BAMO is... He calls it a battle cry, right? It's it's almost like a mantra that when you're stopping and you're taking that breath, and so it's four seconds in through your nose, kind of a, and as you're counting in, you're literally counting in your head. So you're counting in your brain, one, two, three, four. 
the lesson he shared with me was you can't count and think about whatever's tripping you out at the same time. You're literally breaking that negative thought of whatever hit you. And then again, as you're blowing that breath out of the, you know, it kind of makes me laugh. You know, I'll date myself. When you think about, you know, bad boys of the movie and the, the woo saw, it's almost like a different version of that where you're, you're pausing your brain, but also your body. So like a little itty bitty one, four seconds in, four seconds out. But then as I started studying more and more, you know, sometimes you got to go a little deeper. So you might've heard of the box breath where you're doing the four seconds in, you're holding it for that four seconds. You're blowing it back out the four seconds, but then you're still holding where at the top of that breath and the bottom, you're trying to hold the body and where you're trying to connect the mind, you know, the brain to the heart, to the gut and stop that, whatever that crazy cycle is, you know, it could be, if you're upset at work, you know, there was a near miss, there was something, something's late, uh, people, you know, whatever you get heated, even at, 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 in your family life, you know, is kind of learn that progression from a little breath, you know, to kind of a little bit longer breath. And, you know, for those that are really interested, the work that I've been working on the past six months is getting into what I was shown is deep breath work. And when I say deep, I've been working with a coach out of Canada, Kendra Fox, that was teaching me in the mornings, I'm trying to get up to 15, 20 minutes of pure, uninterrupted breath of just me in my head, my thoughts to kind of prepare my day and build that energy up. And then at the end of the day, it's almost like a decompression. So kind of the morning, get positive, get that energy, think mantras and like tell myself it's going to be a good day. Like today, I was like, hey, it's going to be a good day. I'm doing a podcast. I'm going to share some information. Hey, today we're having a board meeting. I get to see a lot of members every day in that beginning to end of really deep, long-term breathing. And even one of the things that I do in the afternoon as part of what I call it, it's like a reset. And depending where I'm at between one and two o'clock every day, I use my Calm app, but I'm breathing with that app and do that body scan of five minutes if I can, sometimes if I got 10 minutes, but I've learned throughout the day, I'm taking, let's call them little micro breaths. And, you know, in the moment of feeling an energy, feeling some negativity, something's coming at me, I'm trying to steady myself. Or when I'm trying to recharge, it's going a little bit deeper. And it's interesting, you know, when I've been sharing this with a lot of construction professionals, so if you can imagine kind of some of the comments that I've been getting back and, you know, some of them are positive, some are questioning, but the biggest one I hear is I don't have time for that. I, I, I just don't have time for that. We breathe all day. Correct. Like <laughs> yes. you're doing it, whether you realize it or not, I'm asking, yeah. are you intentionally doing it for you? You know, breathing the body is totally different than just staying alive, I think. Okay. So, um, that's a good one. The, the difference between unintentional and intentional breath that when we breathe in through the nose down to the lower belly, we're tapping into that calming effect. And you, know, you always mention the side eye. I'm smoking a cigarette is the same thing, although very unhealthy, but that's what a lot of people are doing. They're doing that intentional breathing. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I wanted to, uh, okay. So I'm going to Let's, let's do the opposite of that for a minute, that yes, we can get the calming effect. We can also intentionally pep ourselves up. And I, I learned from uh, Tony Robbins, his priming every day. And it's basically like 
the deep breaths in to the chest. And it's almost like he's giving mm -hmm. himself a panic attack on purpose to get it over with for the day. All right. Yep. All right. I already had, already had my panic attack. I'm good. And, and so Shelly, I wanted to go over to you because you've taught that before. We've discussed that about deep breaths into the chest. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Shelly, and on some breathing techniques? Um, yes. Now I don't feel like I'm as, I haven't been as deep as Rob has. Um, cause Rob was telling me that, I mean, you can, uh, and we're made up of energy. You can untangle this wad of energy for, that you have built up from, you know, your past and, and through these breathing techniques, you can really, you know, shed that negative energy. And that's something that, that he taught me, um, and that's why I'm, I'm really getting into these breath works. I typically have used these uh, breath works to help with meditation to get to that calming place. Or like, as you gentlemen ha have mentioned, um, you get a little worked up. You're, you take conscious control of your respiratory system. And in that way, you control your thoughts. Uh, you, contr you control um, the, the circumstances from, from that perspective in, in, internally. Um, so, Shelly, are you doing the same one where you breathe in through your nose down to the lower belly? Is that kind of the same one? Your diaphragm, yeah. Get it all the way to your diaphragm. Breathe in through your nose. And then um, th the more upset I am, the longer I hold my breath. And then as soon as, you know, you hold it and then you release it. Uh, I do what, um, I, I believe what Rob said, that the four, seven, eight breaths, um, you breathe in for four. Uh, hold it for seven and then exhale for eight. Uh, and, and those uh, I find are, are very helpful and calming. You know, I had a guy in class one time and he was really into martial arts and, and he added, you breathe in through your nose down to the lower belly, but on the exhale, you rub your belly out. And he was talking about how there's gases that get stored in there. And that, that when you do the rub of the belly, it, it kind of helps ex exhale all those negative gases so that was another one too that's a good pro tip honestly with you know a lot of my issues have been gastro related of you know what i thought originally was food allergies or i'm just getting older and i'm not tolerating certain things which maybe is the case but others is where what i was sharing with shelly of learning about the energy right of years of stuffing things deep down inside figuratively right and then why is my stomach always upset and it's like oh i can't eat this kind of bread now right. why it was no 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 no. i'm absorbing all that energy from people and stuffing it inside i wasn't processing it and then you know you go a few years or a decade or two right it's interesting where i've never had anybody explain it that way of trying to help release what he's talking about. I'm going to, I'm going to have to try that one. It's uh, that's an interesting pro tip right there. Okay. So we got breathing in through the nose, down to the lower belly. And there's the, the calming effect on um, the, the one about the deep breaths, right? Prepping ourselves for, uh, you know, all the energy. Um, I found sometimes doing that after the calming exercise kind of gives you a newfound power. So you start with the, in through the nose, down the lower belly, you calm yourself down, but then you do, in through the mouth to the upper chest, but you're not doing it from that reactive mm -hmm. fight or flight stage. It's more like now I have my energy and my power. It's more of a positive, you know, one. All right, Shelly, you, you did that too, where um, you did a lot of the deep breaths. I think on that last podcast we did a lot of quick, repetitious deep yeah. breaths. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, y'all got any more breathing techniques you want to share? Or do you want to go to meditation? Let's talk about meditation. That definitely gets a lot of eyebrows in okay. the instruction space raised. All right. Meditation, they're already doing it. They just call it fishing or hanging out in the deer stand. And yep. so, you know, back to the side eye, we're already doing it in certain ways. Um, you know, I play guitar. I'm not thinking when I'm doing that. But at root, we're, we're shutting off the endless thought stream. Right. And so, um, Shelly, I'll give it to you. What, what are some specific meditations you do? Can you tell us a specific practice? In, in meditations, and like you say, people either they hate this word, they don't want to try it. And maybe some people have tried it, they've been unsuccessful because it's not one of those things where you'll have instant results. It's one of those things that you're not going to see automatically, instantly, those results. Like you said, um, we do it all the time, whether we're mowing the grass, what have you, you're, you're thinking, you're doing some deep thinking. And usually the more successful for meditation, the, the best way to do it is to cut all your sensories off, meaning our human senses, because that's what's igniting our brain, our neurons, our ego, what have you. That's when uh, we start to worry, think about the future, think about the past, start comparing things. But when we have completely, uh, we get in a quiet room, uh, maybe even have a blindfold, uh, put some earplugs in the ears cutting off those senses and just being with your thoughts, not having any external stimulation. Um, you're quicker to get to that area where you're like, oh, okay, uh, I have this connection with uh, what some people call the higher self. Uh, uh, some people call God, divine entity, the source, however you want to put it. It is just this feeling of peace, of love and, and acceptance that once you get there, you know, you're there. It's a, it's a place where um you get this a familiar sense of home. Okay. The only way to describe of it that way, you, if you do have a, a bad incident when you're going through life, you can just think about that place where you go to meditate that home, that nice, beautiful green hilltop with the nice oak tree for me. Um, beautiful sun, wind blowing, no, nothing around, but just beautiful peace. Um, and, and, and that's what I use meditation for. It's to help get there. It's to help, make that that spiritual connection right because if we uh you know you might not be a spiritual person but won't we neglect one part of of our body and that being the energy part uh then you know it can cause other things to malfunction yeah okay so shelly you said something interesting that that we want to shut off these senses because they can trigger thoughts now now i want to give you a both are true on that um and i'm kind of diving into this awareness meditation kind of combining them together but um i found tapping into senses is a great way to meditate too that um you know when the specific ones i do like here's one i just i got a family member that's dealing with a lot of anxiety and and um, depression right now and, and i was showing her the basic one where i put my hand put your hands out in front of you and can you just feel that tingling sensation in your fingers do that in class a lot but if it's like a micro meditation in that split second. If you can feel the tingling in your fingers without looking at them, you're not thinking you're sensing and you shut off the thought stream for a minute. And, and so I'm, I'll do that when I can't sleep because I'm overthinking in the bed and I'll start with my toes and take it all the way to the top of my head. But that sensing that feeling takes me away from thinking and, and so another one I'll do a lot is um, I listen to the layers of sounds. And I think you can do this on a job site where you, what's the closest sound you hear. And it might be the crane running over the 
crash and run in front of you. You might hear the beep of a backup alarm beyond that. You might hear a scissor lift running around up on the floor. And when you listen to those layers, you're sensing and you're not thinking. And so they're really quick micro meditations that I think you can do. Um, Rob, what about you? What, what are some meditations that you're doing out there? I tell you, I still have so much trouble with the, uh, the monkey mind of, well, if I can count to five or six without that first thought, that's a good day. And it doesn't matter if I'm sitting in my office and, you know, got the blackout shades, if I've in my car, I can be standing on the job side, but that monkey mind is so hard to control where, you know, I kind of call it a crutch, but maybe it's not really a crutch. I still use the Calm app. Uh, I've tried lots of different of the meditation apps. I've tried Headspace. There's a new one called Relax Infinity. I've tried them all. And for whatever reason, you know, the founder, uh, one of the founders at Calm, Tamara, I just like her voice. And it helps me to put in the headset and go through one of her guided meditations. And I generally like my go-to is a body scan. There's, uh, they have a three minute, a five minute, a 10, and then, you know, there's there longer ones, but it's literally what you're talking about, Philip, of doing that head to toe scan of just checking in. So I can stop that stream of conscious thought ideally. And sometimes, you know, I'll start with the head and then I realize, yeah, I've got a tension headache right between the eyes and I'm trying to work through that. And by the time I get to the neck, I'm thinking about the next email or the next call, you know, whoop, no, gotta, gotta rein it in. But having that outside voice guiding me through helps me at least take that three or five, 10 minute pause out of the chaos where I still try to meditate purely in my own brain, but it has to, for me, it's normally by nighttime is when either my brain's is tired of thinking all day that I can actually get that quiet time and the monkey's not quite there. And maybe I make it to a minute or I'll use some, uh, some music, some either tonal music, something without any words, you know, cause I've tried that where I've got a few really awesome albums that I just love. Like I've got a bunch of different versions of like, um, ACDC that's, you know, picking bands. But as soon as I hear the notes, I know the words, or I've got a couple of like Dr. Dre, like instrumental albums. As soon as the beats drop, I hear them in my head. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. So classical music's helped a little bit too in a weird way, right? If it's not a pure meditation, but if I put in something that has no words, but just music to follow through, I've kind of leaned into that a little bit with some of the tonal things to try and, again, take that break from Shelly, what you're talking about, you know, the sensory, it hasn't bothered me so much of looking at things, but then I also do have, you know, for example, in my office, I've got a couple of mandalas, I've got some crosses. I do have visual things that I will try and focus on, but boy, that monkey mind, it just pops up so quick, you know, fighting the monk mind. And I do use some technology or other things to try and get me to that place where I can do the focus. Well, you're normal for one, right? Because uh, that, <laughs> yeah. what was it? Uh, the, the, even people that practice meditation a lot can't really go more than seven seconds without having some kind of thought. So, oh yeah, that's all normal. Um, you know, you, you made me think of uh, Eckhart Tolle. has got this big comparison to a, a Jesus scripture on contemplating the flower, and just can you, you know, look at something and focus on it without trying to think about it? And, mm. and, you know. 
Uh, so every time I see a flower when I'm stressed, I always think about that. Um, what, what do you got, Shelly? What, what, any other meditations you want to share? Um, not, not, not that comes to mind right off right now. <laughs> um, you know, I got, uh, here's one that I'll do in class, right? When you got a bunch of people and, you know, the energy levels all over the place in a class setting, but, you know, just feeling my feet touching the floor. I forget who taught me that one of just, you know, kind of wiggling your toes, grounding. I think they called it where mm-hmm. you know, can I touch my, feel my toes through the shoes, kind of grounding to the floor and again, shutting off the thought stream for just a second. Um, you know, I actually, Shelly, I did want to throw, we were just talking about this today, um, that, you know, sometimes if we can clear our mind, the creativity and our expertise kind of flows out of us a little bit better. You, you want to talk about that, that we, we were talking about this morning? Yes, yes, yes. So, okay. And, and I know that uh, this book, this book is, is an amazing book. Um, it's by a lady, Mary Ann DeMarco. And it's called uh, a mentor, medium mentor. And I know people are going to automatically jump on some thoughts, but just like Eckhart Tolle, what he, uh, she reveals in her work is if your ego is, is constantly running and constantly arguing with you, it, it can bring you down. It can prevent you from doing your talent. Like if you're a songwriter, you're an artist, uh, maybe you're a writer. A lot of times your ego will interfere with your work. You're judging yourself. You're judging others. And she said, here's three ways you can keep your ego in check. Um, and one we'll, we'll talk about later because you have it in, in your queue, uh, gratitude practices. Um, just acknowledging uh, and being grateful for the small things because uh, right there you're realigning your ego you're not thinking about yourself what you want uh, and, and what have you your your gratitude is extending out you're being thankful for other circumstances not yourself right the other one is expectations and this is the biggest one and my biggest killer and uh, this is expectations we put expectations you know from the time we're born we're being put um, expectations by our family friends society you they want us to be uh fit in this role do this be here at this time uh and you know uh and then that gets into uh don ruiz's uh you know four agreements of conditional love versus unconditional love but anyway to get back to the ego um knowing that hey i put expectations on on this you got to back away from that knowing that we're constantly putting expectations that's a flare from our ego And the third one, she said, what you can do if you notice you have an ego flare, keep your ego in check, is to um, congratulate somebody or, uh, you know, cheer on somebody else, like motivate somebody else. Put your positive energy and and focus on on somebody else's success and goals. And uh, those three techniques, I mean, right off the bat, as soon as I read that, it was just like my, my, my neurons were going like oh, wow, something so simple. And, you know, we've been reading this, but she just makes it, uh, you know, connects it together perfectly. We should have had a category on managing the ego, right? That's what we're doing right now. But no, that's a good one. You know, you were, I was thinking this morning about, um, you know, that old cliche that we all have like a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. And, and you know, if we call that devil the ego, we all have one maybe the deeper self of who we really are is that angel that's on the other shoulder. Right. Mm. Um, but that ego, it, it seems to hover somewhere between low self-esteem and arrogance 
but like you said, if we recognize we all have one, but it's not who we really are. It's just like a passenger and, and just looking at that, that, oh, that, that negative thought I'm having or that insecure thought, it's not who I am. It's just some little mechanism in the brain. Right. And, and, you know, some people, uh, you know, talk about the limbic brain or the primal brain and the amygdala, however you want to talk about it, whatever perspective that we carry that with us but it's our inner child. And the more you kind of look at it, that that's not who you are. It's just another thing inside of you. I think there's a separation that happens, right? And that gratitude that, that you, you talked about, we're separating ourselves from that inner child, right? And we're going to that higher level of consciousness. So yeah, that's a great one to separate yourself from that arrogant or insecure side. What about you, Rob? You want to talk about gratitude? Because I know you've been doing some journaling and things like that. It's definitely something that was a foreign concept at first of thinking about and really being grateful for whatever's in your life. You know, it could just be, I slept indoors today. You know, I'm not out on the streets. I have food to eat. Or looking at, you know, the team that I'm a part of now, the career it was really hard to sit and think through it. And after I started working through some journals last year, it was odd that then I kind of almost fell into like an autopilot because I would look back if I wrote the same five things like five days in a row where it's not for my kids and my job, right? Yep. (laughs) Where, where do you get out of autopilot and every day really when you're taking that two minutes or five minutes, think through doesn't matter how small it is, but to try and change it up, you know, I fell into that pattern kind of a little bit of, I was practicing it, but was I really practicing it? Cause I'm writing the same thing over and over and over again. I'm not searching that soul deep enough to really look for that gratitude or externally paying gratitude to people and like being sincere and honest and telling somebody in a text or an email or a phone call, you know, thank you for the help you provide or the support that was another one that was a little bit of a struggle of internally re- recognizing gratitude, but then externally acknowledging it to somebody else. You know, a lot of my coaches of telling them, you know, thank you for the knowledge that you're giving me or thanking family, or, you know, thanks for sticking with me through some of this crazy stuff. It's been an odd ride with uh, the internally external side of gratitude of really being intentional and honest about it, not just you know, checking the box, shall we say, like, well, I wrote it in my journal today, like, well, but did you mean it? Yeah, you know, I might go a little safety on this, too, that I'm, so there's all the scientific evidence that expressing gratitude makes you feel better, right? And mm-hmm. and so, I, you know, I'll do the, a lot, there's a lot of times sitting in the parking lot at Georgia Tech, and, and we just open up the note file and write down the things I'm grateful for. Just like you said, Rob, sometimes get in the habit, I'm grateful that my kids live with me and all that kind of stuff, but, you know, grateful for my talents and, and you know, things like that, that can I come up with something new to be grateful for? Um, so, yeah, can we make it a daily practice? But the other one, too, expressing gratitude for other people um, yes, it makes you feel better. It makes them feel better too. Mm-hmm. And and I think we've all heard that most people in construction safety hear more about what they do wrong than what they do right. So we get a couple of things here that 
you get to feel better if you go give gratitude to some of those workers, but they get to feel better too. And we've got this whole construction mental health thing going on. So maybe we can mm-hmm. whittle away at that at the same time, right? Yeah. So expressing gratitude. You got anything more you want to add on gratitude there, Shelly? Yeah, yeah. So jumping to gratitude, uh, I'm sorry, I meant to uh, open up with this as well. Uh, the book that we we both got into, The Power of Awe. Okay. Uh, yes. And in this, uh, the authors, uh, Jake Eagle and Dr. Michael Amster, uh, they go over these small little techniques. It's called microdosing, um, gratuity. Uh, you take one example. So I'm here in my office. Let's say I get a little worked up. Okay. I, I find one thing that, that I'm looking at that I'm grateful for. You spend one minute to say, relax on it saying, okay, I'm grateful for it. It's there. I'm grateful for what it does. It's function. It makes my life easier. It could be an object. It could be a person. It could be a pet. It could be anything. Okay. A tree, a plant, uh, a stapler, whatever you want. Um, and it's taking these little small things. And, uh, like you said, um, focusing on them to, uh, give us a little, uh, basically raise our vibrations, make it more positive, making our energy feel more positive and uh, what have you. And also in this book, as we discussed um, the language that you use towards yourself, um, the victimizing language versus is something happening to you versus you're in control of the situation. Meaning, uh, yeah, we can't control our circumstances that happen here and there, external circumstances, but what we can control is on the inside, internal. Did, um, you know, that person came up and hit me. That happened to me. Or just say, hey, I experienced, um, you know, what it's like to be slapped. Or, you know, whatever the case may be. That's um, just a small thing. But uh, uh, the language that we use towards ourselves, how we identify, do we victimize ourselves? Are we in control of the situation? You know, okay. So, um, you know, we've kind of gone from this meditation to awareness and we're getting into thought work too. And there's crossover and they're connected and they work together. So, um, power of awe is I become aware of something for a minute. That's my micro meditation. I wait for a minute to experience whatever that thing is. And then I exhale the deep breath. Right. And, and yes, you can do it with anything. You could do it with the way the metal feels on a hammer, right? You could do it with, uh, you know, spinning the wheel on a toy Lego car or something. And just can I, for a a second, be aware of the uniqueness and, and the greatness of some little insignificant thing wait for a second to do that and then exhale and, and there's your micro meditation. So yeah, that one helped me a lot when you gave me that book right at the right time. That's definitely a good one. Um, so should we go into thought work or do you have a thought you want to share on that, Rob? No, let's talk about the thought work. That's something I think, you know, again, talking in our safety room, it's a, it's a almost a buzzword right now, but what does thought work really mean? We're talking about us as humans versus let's apply this to construction, especially safety. Cause we talked a little bit about it. You know, we deal with a lot of negativity and how do you, handle the negativity that we still can receive as safety professionals, I think it's a lot of thought work, but what does that mean in 2023? Right. right. Well, okay. I'll, I'll go to that. I'm going to start with the one that's helped me the most. And um, I'll give all credit to Brooke Castillo as the teacher of this. Her very first podcast 
is the cognitive behavioral model. Now, a lot of people teach it. She doesn't own it, doesn't claim ownership. She just, that's where I first heard about it, but it's the circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. And it's breaking down your experiences in those categories that when I look at circumstance, just like what Shelley said, do I look at it as something that's happening to me or for me? Well, circumstance is neutral. What, what is this experience, whether I'm slapped in the face, fired, going through divorce or, or late to work or there's traffic, whatever it is, do I look at that as neutral? It's, it's not good or bad. It's just an experience I'm happening. It's my thought about it that labels it good or bad. And so when, when we write down the thought, what are the thoughts you have about the circumstance? The idea is, is really to separate the ego like we were talking about that write down my thoughts as nasty as they could possibly be. So I can look at them from an external lens and I might be like, you know what? I don't want to think about that. But then can I look at what emotions, frustration, anger, depression are generated from the thoughts I have about the circumstance? And then what behaviors do I display because of that path? And what are the results I get? So if I break those things down and write them out and categorize them, the goal is I can think a different thought that would create a different emotion, that would create a different behavior, and probably most likely a different result. So that one, I think, is the the tool I use the most in my life. Started by writing it down, but it it might just be something I think about riding down the road these days. Do do y'all do that one, the, the cognitive behavioral model? That's awesome. I never heard of it. Okay. All right. I've been through something similar where I was working with a hypnotherapist. They gave me that kind of model of where I was doing a lot of deep work with him of going back in years, right? Of like, so 49 years of learning, not necessarily some of it was the most healthy. So how do you unlearn those things and then be aware of them and start catching yourself before things slip out of control to then fill up to your point of like, okay, I need to think about that. And in the heat of the moment, you can't always say, Hey, hold on a minute. I'm going to write this out. Right. You have to process in your brain. That's kind of the evolution over the last year where I could, I could realize something was happening, you know, like that trigger. I got to make a mental note of this to come back to, but in the moment, how do you start working through like, wait a minute, Am I mad or are they mad? Is what they said bothering me or do I disagree with? Or, you know, as those energies are interacting, it's kind of where the deeper process you're talking about, I have to wait till sometime later in the night or even a day or two later to really kind of dive into it. Because, you know, if it's a family member or a friend, those neural paths are deep in that brain, right? Like those immediate... You know, like I, I give you an example, like one of my parents, there's a couple of things like as soon as I walk in the house, you know, 50 years of history show that here's what's going to happen. And I've been trying to do that neural pruning exercise of knowing, all right, that person's not going to change, but I can change, or at least I can rearrange my thought pattern. So build myself up a little more positive. And so when I go into that scenario, I know how to handle it, or I've also learned of literally just walking out of the room. 
of, right. you know, of, I can either stand here and continue to be triggered and get upset and reinforce that neural path, or I can say, nope, hot button, and walk away. And it happens at work too, but you can't always walk away physically. So then how do you mentally, as crazy as it's going to sound, walk away and go, no, okay, person's pushing my button. I acknowledge they're pushing my button and I've gone through the breath and everything's tr still trying to stay calm, but you can't control another person. And sometimes you can't leave a scenario. So let's think like our safety professionals, you could be on a job site and it could be a safety walk with an ocean specter. You're not walking away from that or an owner or something. How do you do what you're talking about in real time in your brain to like note it, acknowledge it and say, as crazy as it will sound, I kind of visualize if you think about the old library uh, shelves where you'd have the little index cards to look up the book. So I got in my mind these little boxes and shelves everywhere. Sometimes I'll literally think about pulling out a drawer, taking that thought and say, I'm going to put it right here. I can't deal with you right now. I'll deal with you later and have to come back to it to do what you're talking about of thinking. So person X said this. And it made me mad or upset. And why? And doing that processing work later, it's kind of like a two-layer thing that I found of I had the real time of how do I handle this right now when I can't do the deep work you're talking about, but then come back to it to try and snip that neural pathway and kind of redirect that river in your brain of thoughts to maybe prime it a little more positively, if you think about it. Yeah. Okay. So a, a few thoughts on that. One, um, here's a simple one that I try to throw out in classes all the time to get people to start getting this concept. It's the concept of both are true. All right. That everything I experience is good and bad, all dependent on the thought I choose to think about it. Right. And so um, let, let's use your OSHA example that OSHA shows up and I'm going to put that back in the, the behavior model. I, they're here, right? I, I can't <laughs> kick them off the job. I'm like, go get a warrant, but I don't think we're going to do that, right? Because they'll right. just come right back. So OSHA's here. That's the unchangeable circumstance. If my thought about it is I don't want them to be here, that's probably going to affect my emotions and my behaviors on how I interact with them. Now, could I choose the both are true there. Can I look at it as both are true that, hey, you know what? I could learn to get better at handling an OSHA inspection today because I'm going through one, right? Mm -hmm. And so it, it's unchangeable that they're here. How do I want to think about it? Well, you know, this is a good thing. I'm going to learn a lot on how to handle OSHA. And, and so maybe I'm not perfect about it, but I'm starting from that place of I'm thinking, you know, what can I get out of this? What can I learn from it? which will affect a more, I'll have a more positive emotion and will show up in the behaviors and probably mm -hmm. the result of the ocean inspection, right? But, but like you said, I think, uh, so the, the cognitive behavioral model, once you get it, and yes, you got to do the work and practice it, like doing push-ups and everything else, I think it becomes more natural that when experiences happen, yeah, I might get triggered for a minute but it's always in the back of that, that neural pathway you talked about that, well, I associate circumstances neutral, right? That, yeah, I got angry about something for a minute, but I'm recognizing that was my ego talking. Let me 
go back to where's my power. I have the power to think whatever thought I want. What's a thought that would serve me better? And then I get the chain reaction of the emotion and the behavior and the result. But yeah, we got to practice that stuff to make it more natural. Shelly, you got anything you want to throw at that? Um, yeah, you know, when I first started doing the self-help stuff, it was my goal to erase all negative thoughts. Okay, and, and uh, but you know, as I was reading the the self-help and what have you, what the advice people say, and as you guys, um, as you gentlemen already highlighted it, you still have to process these emotions. Um, so it's okay. We are human. It's okay to feel guilty. It's okay to feel bad. It's okay to feel depressed. It's okay to feel these anger. Okay. Um, cause a lot of times if we feel these emotions, we automatically, like I do, if I get angry or sad, I get mad at myself. I start judging myself and that just adds on the layers. Right. Um, but as, as Rob said, no, you still have to, even if you have to book it away, you still need to open it back up, open that file folder back up and process that emotion. As he said, ask questions like, okay, this may be angry. Why did it make me angry? How did it trigger me? That way you can examine yourself, analyze yourself to say, okay, well, I know that's my button. I know I'm now aware of my button and how easy it is to press. But um, like you gentlemen said, uh, processing all these emotions and not feeling bad if you do have a negative emotion, um, because we're all here to learn. That's right. Okay, so let's go there for a minute. Um it all sounds good. Process the negative emotions. I think a lot of people struggle. Well, what, how do I do that? Right. And, and so a couple of thoughts on being a songwriter, I've always had this thing where, you know, nobody's paying me to songwrite, just something I do for my own mental health. But if I had some bad experience and I wrote a song about it, it was almost like it was taking all that built up negative emotion and taking it out of my body. And it was just like the minute I recorded the song, it was like it was completely out of me now and always felt better. And I learned later on in life that that's the point of journaling. And same thing with the behavior model mm -hmm. that can I do the thought download? Can I take it outside of me for a minute? where a lot of people try to hold it down. I don't want to feel negative. And what they do is they strengthen it, right? So can mm -hmm. I let it out of me? And then when I, when I look at it from that external view, if I write down, I think journaling is just a simple thing anybody could do. Write down all the negative thoughts you have and then read them. And when you read them, you're separate from them in that moment. And that's the processing so there's that. And the other one I wanted to add was um, the allowance of the negative emotion. And um, so one that works well for me is if I feel something like stress, anger, depression, can I focus on it of exactly what it feels like and describe the feeling in my body? So like a, a simple one is stress. Let's say that uh, for, st for stress, it's I feel tightness in the upper part of my chest, I am processing it because I'm describing how it's feeling. And in that moment that I'm describing it, I can't do it with the same part of my brain that feels stress. So I've separated myself, right? And the, the, you know, and I'm not, I'm going to butcher the science of it, but I'll do the best I can that sometimes the stress comes outward, right? It's coming outward and how we react to people but I'm, I'm flipping the channel where I'm pointing my brain down towards the stress in my body 
it, it's changing the pathway. Instead of it driving me, now I'm kind of driving it. And, and it always dissipates. And anytime, whether it's sadness, whether it's stress, anger, if I can focus on exactly describing to myself how it feels in my body, it dissipates. So um, what y'all got? You want to add anything more, Rob or, or Shelly, on either this whole processing negative emotion thing? No, uh, but I am going to try that method, what you said. As soon as you get some emotions, write it down, look at it, process it. And uh, that's amazing. That sounds amazing technique. You're doing journaling, right, right, Rob? I mean, you're doing oh, some yeah. journaling stuff. So w- yep. w- tell us what you're journaling. What, what kind of stuff are you writing down from a mental health perspective? So I write down positive things and negative things. There's positive things to look at and go, yeah, that was a good day and celebrate the wins and the emotions. Then there's also the negative things that that didn't go good where I kind of, I, I, use a plus symbol for positive, negative, you know, minus sign for negative. And I've kind of worked through, I have several written journals that I use, but I've also kind of used digital journals sometimes. And I don't know, for the lack of a better thought, my backwards way of thinking, if it was a digital journal, I can write down that negative thought and, you know, angry type, whatever that person did or triggered in me that made me mad. And I know I have power over it to just delete it. So I've typed it out and I now, to your point, I can write it out or type it out. When it's in writing though, it's still real because it's right there where if I flip back a page, it's there. If I need to, in the digital version, I can delete it. I have power over it in this weird sort of way that I was thinking about it because sometimes, like we're talking before, you don't always have the journal right there. In the heat of the moment, you can't be like, hey, hold on. I need to write that down because... You just triggered me or you pissed me off and I got to deal with that later. In our weird culture that we are now with these smartphones, you know, you can always be like, oh, hold on, I need to check this message. You can make an excuse and for whatever reason, it's kind of culturally acceptable that you could write it out or you're in a meeting. There's a way that you could type it a lot quicker than write it sometimes. Right. Or if you just have that much, you know, I have angry typed out paragraphs. And I, you know, right. But I I feel like I've got this, it's out of my head and I have this power now that if I want to, I can delete you versus, you know, scratching through, it doesn't seem to have the same, and maybe it's the gamification of apps. Scratching through something does not have the same satisfaction of deleting something. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I'm over here thinking, why you just rip the page out of the journal, crumple it up and throw it in the trash can. Right. But, but that, but that's the thing is it, it, okay. So at root of all this, it's do we have awareness that thought is a choice and we mm-hmm. can pick and choose what to, to think and thoughts may come to us, but we can choose what to keep, right? What, what are thoughts that we want to keep and what are, are thoughts we want to let go of? And, and that process you're talking about, whether it's delete the file or rip the page out of the book, um, I, 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 we're downloading the thought out of us. We're noticing that we are separate from the thought. And we're choosing whether or not we want to keep it or get rid of it. Maybe I want to keep all those gratitude thoughts, but I'm going to get rid of this negative thought I'm having. But, but I think, you know, I forget where I learned this from, that if you get that concept, you can do it inside your head in the moment too. Mm-hmm. You can almost picture yourself taking that thought and crumpling it up and throwing it away and, and you didn't do anything physical. So mm-hmm. there, there might be one we could do in the moment with 
you know, a bunch of people around. Can you just visualize in a, a minute that I threw this thing away? Ooh, that leads me. So one of the things that I got from a therapist is that exercise of, of letting go or throwing it away where what he taught me was to visualize myself sitting in a room and in the corner, there's a hole in the floor and whatever's bothering me. And let's just say when I started, there were boxes of things bothering me, like on a regular basis. And you picture, you know, whatever that thing is that was bothering you is in a box and you visualize yourself pushing it over to the hole to let it go and try to let go of it. Now, let's just say this took me six or seven months of, I'd push, you know, let's say 15 boxes go in the hole every day, 15 boxes come back. Eventually it was like 10 boxes, seven boxes as I could do kind of the deeper work of realizing whatever that trigger was, that soul wound, that pain, and finally come to terms with it and be like, it's done. It's over. I learned and let it go. I kind of got to the point. It's like, like one or two boxes a day. Now, if somebody would pick that scab, as they say, and, or bring it up, like one of them could have been uh, one of my previous job, you know, negative job experiences. And somebody would bring that up. There's that box. And it might take me a day or two. But I talked to some other people of different visualizations like you're talking about. Of So you write down, let's say you have your angry notebook and you write down the stuff. You can tear that page out, tear it up, burn it, throw it away. It's still that cathartic process that I'm pulling the thought out of my head. I'm placing it somewhere where I've got the power over it now. And I'm either letting go of it freely, pushing it into a hole. I'm burning it. I'm tearing it up. Or then I can kind of address it and, again, carve that neural path a little bit differently and reframe that thought to stop always having a negative response to that person or that issue Whatever it is that's triggering you, you know, how are you positively trying to take a hold of it and uh, course correcting? If that makes sense. Definitely, and, and well, and that's the the point. I think with all this, like you went from the fifteen boxes to the ten that we're, we're still going to have negative thoughts, and we just get better at dealing with them. Mm. So, yeah, we got to start with maybe writing some of these things down, and we should always continue to do that. We, we don't always have the time. But the more you do that work, the more natural it becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to run it down to the ground again. But the, the, the most simplistic thing I think is a good start is both are true. That can anything that happens, can I look at the, the, the truth on both sides of the argument? You know, that's what they teach in like debate class, right? Can, can you go argue, you know, for and against something so we can train our brain to see that both are true in anything, right? And so can I do that more often that this is good and bad and practice that more often? And I'm going to see the world differently if I do that. So both are true. There's one simple one we could do. Shell, you got anything you want to add? Uh, no, I just, uh, I, I love, I'm, I love that you mentioned journaling because I think that is very healthy. Uh, for me, you know, when I was going through through school, that's where I had most of my, uh, huge, you know, paradigm shifts in the way I thought. I had all these preconceived uh, uh, understandings about society, about other people that lived in history. And then when you're doing your journaling, you're writing because you got to do all these reports and stuff. You just like we talked about earlier, you get these downloads of information. It's like you don't even know where it's coming from. Uh, all this information, and when you write it down, it's just therapeutic in that sense. And and um, uh, to me, that to me, that's the most helpful technique that I have is, is journaling. 
thought download, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm going to give you all another one, and, and a, this is kind of like a spin on the behavior model, but I'm a, another one I learned in therapy this year was the ABCDE model. So it's teaching the same concept in a different way, but ABCDE, A is the activator. What's that thing that triggers a thought in you? And then B is what's the belief you have about it? Can you write down what the activator is? What's your belief about it? And then what are the consequences of that belief? Like, what do you do? Do you go pour a drink? Do you smoke a cigarette? Do you yell at somebody? What are those consequences of your belief about the activator? And then here comes both are true again. D is for the disputation of the belief. So can you take a minute to prove yourself wrong about whatever belief you had? And once you do that, E is for effective new belief. Do I create an effective new belief? So like, let's say I go to the AGC meeting and there's Rob and I wave at him and he doesn't wave back. Right. And, and so, okay. So I might have, that might be an activator for me that Rob didn't wave back. And I might have a belief like Rob's mad at me. He doesn't like Philip anymore. And maybe my consequence is I'm a little withdrawn from him and I could have really had a good engaging conversation. And so can I dispute that belief? Like maybe Rob's got six other things going on in his life. And, and you know, he was looking right at me, but he was thinking something totally different. And so that is, I, I'm leaning towards to the effect of new belief is Rob still my friend loves me, right? And, and so can we do that with everything? What's the activator? What's your initial belief about it? What are those consequences of that belief? And then prove yourself wrong, the disputation, and then create an effective new belief. So that one's kind of, some people I think latched onto that style of teaching it too. All right. What else y'all got on some thought work? Anybody want to share some other thought work exercises? One that I got from uh, Seth Hickerson is the stop sign. So when you feel things slipping out of control, literally visualize a stop sign or maybe, you know, you can print one and put it at your desk or have a photo of it. But you, you, when you feel things are sliding, you, you visualize the stop sign and you say in your head, stop, and you try and stop that thought. And then maybe you could use your tool book, right? Go through the ABCDE or the other one. A real short, simple one, if you're familiar with Jocko, is think good. You know, whatever's happened, to your point, there's a negative and a positive. How do you, instead of going after the negative, like, oh, crap, this is so bad. It's no good. How do you, you know, from Jocko's side of the table, you know, the military world, it's like, we got more time to train. We're going to get better weather. It's like, where is that point? But you got to first recognize I'm getting mad or upset. Stop. Maybe take that bammo breath, but then thinking through that good, this happened. Okay. Why is this good? You know, do you have more time to get better prepared? Are you going to be able to ask more questions rather than digging in with that negative mentality of like, you know, in construction, think about how many ways it happens every day that rain affects us. Material is delayed. Uh, I had a safety friend send me a photo the other day. Uh, found, let's just say the person was tied off on a balcony to something not exactly substantial as in the middle rib of a window frame, 
right? Uh, okay, well, good. You saved that person. It's good. You were there. I mean, yeah, right. it's frustrating of like, oh boy, you know, traditionally in safety, we think, was this person trained? Like who in their right mind would think that's okay? To, it's like, well, no, you caught it. That's good. Because, you know, in the fake picture, I could literally see, you know, there's the the window itself with the rib, but right below it, there's all those two by fours. Like, okay, good. You caught them in a good yeah. way. I mean, it's a save, right. but I remember so many times having that myself of finding a person not tied off properly and just getting so irate with, why are you not tied off? And you're not following the rules. I wasn't thinking through like, okay, well, good. I just caught somebody before they splatted. Here's a learning moment. And, you know, boy, having that thought 15, 20 years ago would have been so much better for me as a safety professional. But that stop sign of literally having to pull the handbrake in your own brain and acknowledge it, then you can put a couple different tools in after it. But it's literally telling yourself, stop. Once you've recognized now I'm getting mad, I'm getting angry, or this is slipping out of control. Like I'm still in control, but the other people that are yelling at me, you know, spit flying out of their mouth and cussing back at like, no, 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 they're not in control. So, you know, we're not at an equilibrium for a conversation. You know, now this is, this is getting ugly. So it's uh, literally that mental handbrake of stop, seeing that stop sign and then applying whatever other tactic or tool works for you or kind of what Seth has been teaching some of our uh, people in the group that we're working through is that Jedi mind trick of you may be in control. They're not. How do you help defuse for somebody else, which is definitely a high level Jedi mind trick of you could be in control, you could be aware, but if everyone else in the scenario is not aware and in control, whew, how do you pull that fire alarm for the group and, you know, and kind of defuse the situation? Okay, so you you, had, you threw a bunch out there. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go backwards and I'm going to come back to what you just said. Um, if we talk about these behavior models and all this kind of work, one of the key ingredients is good, as Jocko said, right? Um, mm. Both are true. Uh, I think Tony Robbins says it, life happens for you, not to you. But they're all different ways of communicating the same thing that, that you know, I have a choice there. And, and, and so how do we help other people with that when they're not self-aware? Um, can you point them to the contemplative part of their brain? Okay. And, and so what I mean by that is if I say you're an idiot for not tying off, I'm pointing to their primal brain, they're going to get defensive and they're going to say, no, you're an idiot safety person. Right. But can I ask deep contemplative questions and they have to choose to participate. So it's not like, you know, we're going to control everybody's behavior, but can we influence their behavior? And yes, we can. So, okay, um, you're not tied off, right? Or you're tied off to the guardrail, whatever it is. Hey, can you help me understand how we got here to a scenario where this made sense? And, uh, you know, can I ask deep contemplative questions? And so I might even go further with, look, I know you've been trained and, and, and uh, there's probably some reason why we showed up today and found you tied off to the guardrail and I'm not here every day. So could you just help me understand how we got into this scenario? You know, the more deep I am with my contemplative question, if they respond, they got to go to their prefrontal cortex to answer. Mm -hmm. And so they're more likely to um, 
go to that calmer place. I mean, maybe I'm in a meeting and somebody's frustrated with safety and they're dealing with a schedule and, hey, um, can you help me understand a little bit more of the aggressive nature of the schedule so I can help a little bit better from my communication on the safety side? You know, one, we're kind of handing the power over to them, calms them down a little bit. You're not acting like you're superior, but if they have to answer that deep contemplative question, they can only do it with the front part of the brain, right? So there's one way to kind of, I think, calm people down when they're not being aware. Warning doesn't always work. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> all right. All right. So I'm, I know I wanted to get into drift with you all, but before we get there, is there any other mental health thing or technique or exercise either one of you want to share? I mean, there's, there's a lot that we haven't mentioned. It's all, you know, binary beats, uh, chakra healing, where you're doing the humming, going through the different energy levels. I mean, give me one of those, Shelly, give me one, give me one that you practice then. So so I really love because the humming is is very physical. You can feel it in your body and and you're familiar, you're a musical person. So, and and you guys know the, the C, you know, um, you you going up and then notes, you start with your, your sacral chakra, go all the way up to your crown and you're, you're humming these notes, getting higher pitch. Uh, you can spend like a couple minutes on each chakra and this humming, it kind of does the same thing as Rob was talking about the breath exercises. You're controlling your breathing. You don't have room to think because you're humming. And your body's vibrating too. And you can, the first time I did chakra healing, I, I felt it in my arms. Uh, like my arms did a tingling. They went numb. And it's not because of the, because we know that when we expel enough O2, then that would have the same sign and symptom. I was getting enough O2 because breathe in, you go... Uh, I mean, my, I don't have a good voice, but that's what you do. You take a deep breath and, and you just hum it all out. And um, that works wonders for me. That's a great, I mean, you know, chanting uh, in some Christian circles, they called it speaking in tongues. And, and mm-hmm. but yeah, can we do some humming, some chanting? That's a great way to shut off the endless thought stream. Um, you, you make me think, uh, um, uh, you know, I'm going to get a little weird here, but I'm a Pink Floyd fan. On Dark Side of the Moon, there's the great gig in the sky. Mm-hmm. And it has no lyrics, but they're singing the entire time. And it's such a, a it's kind of like that, that um, when you hum along to that, I always felt better. Yeah, so that's a good one, too. What else you got? You know, just going outside, taking the physical separation from other people. You know, if you're on a job site, you can find a way just to go out and just take a walk. If wherever you're at, if there's tension, then you can't address it and either diffuse it. And, you know, it's obvious it's safe, right? We're not talking like a safety thing. Maybe it's a meeting, a scheduling thing. Wherever you're at, go outside. If you're at home, if you're on the road, wherever you're at, this I, one thing I've really been looking at the last year is the effect of the sun on us. So getting outside, a little bit of sunshine. Um in the morning, I try and get morning sunlight and the evening, but during the day, if things get a little heated or crazy, wherever you're at, I found going outside, even for five minutes, just taking some breaths outside, you know, getting some sunshine, just that physical break of getting into the world that we were born into versus, you know, the man-made world is definitely a thing to kind of just shift that perspective. 
You know, that's a good one. I was doing something for a little while that I've drifted from. You remind me, I need to come back. And that was trying to eat lunch outside. And, mm. you know, there's all the science of the vitamin D. But I was uh, reading this thing, too, about our brains are more wired to be in tune to nature, right, than than the concrete jungle. But, yeah, can I get a little micro dose of that? Can I just go outside? I'm not thinking like an AGC. You got that little area where you can have lunch outside. There's a few mm-hmm. trees and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Hey, what's the binary beats thing, Shelly? What is that? Uh, that's uh, I, I got introduced to that when Dr. Even Alexander in his book um, – he, his, uh, uh, his partner, his wife, uh, I don't know if it's his wife, uh, but she does these binaural beats where, um, uh, they're different, uh, they're different frequency beats that, mm-hmm. that play on your brain. As we know, our brain, when we sleep, uh, go, it goes through different frequencies to shut down, to go into the REM cycle, uh, what have you. And it plays on that. And with these binaural beats, you can close your close your eyes. And a lot of people find that an easier way to meditate. As you were saying earlier, some people find classical music, uh, water dripping, nature, what have you. Um, this actually gives uh, a lot of people that do binaural beats and in the, in the meditation, they, they take these journeys. They say it's kind of like lucid dreaming. Uh, no, that's a good one too. I mean, you know, on what 60 beats per minute and, you know, do you want to listen to something that's going to be more in tune with your regular heartbeat or slayer? Right. I mean, you know, yeah. what, what is it going to affect you? Yeah, definitely. Okay, great. Well, we gave everybody a bunch of techniques, but let's go into drift for a minute. And I'm, I'm still struggling with this myself that it, it seems like you, you, maybe some life circumstance happens and you see the need and you do the thought work, you do the breath work, you do the meditations, all those things, then life kind of gets okay again. And and we can mm-hmm. drift away from practicing these things daily. Um, so the only one I really got is the calendar. I use my Outlook calendar a lot um, to remind myself in the future to do this stuff. So uh, the classic one I do is if I got an office day and I'm thinking about it, um, I'll, I'll look at the classes I'm teaching the next couple weeks and 10 minutes before the class starts or 10 minutes before the lunch break ends or both, I send myself a calendar invite with a purposeful thought to think. Like, uh, you know, um, you're going to, help influence people to have better lives today, or, um, you know, you're going to give the best of what you got. Uh, you're using your talents to, for the world to serve a better purpose. You know, some little mantra thing like that, that happens 10 minutes before I really need to hear it as a reminder, but really that's all I got on drift. So do y'all have anything on drift? I'll add that one. A purposeful thought before an event is a great idea. A big meeting, a presentation. Uh, what I've been working on was similar. I have two calendar holds every day that are just called BAMO for that Perfect. breath. So 10 a.m., 2 p.m., wherever I'm at is going to hit my watch and I'm going to look at it and BAMO pops up. And, I, and now I just instinctively take the... So no matter what, day's going good, day's not going good, no matter what, I can, I had those two defaults that are plugged in to, to your point of every day, you're ebbing and flowing with what's going on, especially when you're traveling, right? Like I've been in the car when it goes off. I'm like, nope, take a minute, zone in, take a breath. You know, maybe I need to pop one in at, at night. But calendars, you know, technology does a lot to distract us. 
But in this case, technology is really awesome to remind us every day of taking that little, that little time out. And I'm calling it, this is when it happens where my Apple watch, I thought I had it figured out and it's still randomly. I'll get the mindfulness thing pops up on my Apple watch of like, Hey, do you need to take a breath? And I still haven't figured out, like, I thought I said it for this time and it seems to always randomly pop up. Maybe it's tied in Good. with my heart rate, you know, and it just knows like, no, you should really take a breath right now. Would you like to do some mindfulness? So the, the tech can help us a little bit there with maybe preventing the drift as much. It's both are true, right? The phone's bad and it's amazing, right? It, mm-hmm. It'll help your mental health if you want. Mm-hmm. Shelly, you got any thoughts on, on drift? Uh, yeah, you make a great point because we are very habitual creatures. And a lot of times we will go back to our ways, use the path of least resistance. I mean, it's the same thing with gym memberships and, and getting that exercise on. Oh. I mean, uh, but, you know, you have to work like you. Ha- it's like like you guys said, you have to change your mind about how you see things. Is it a chore that I'm doing when it pops up? Oh, gosh, I got to now I got to get I got to relax. You know, it's how you look at it um, because, you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, we can overlook it. Oh, well, I don't need that now. I'm too tired. Or, and and that's when we really need it the most. But it's it's creating opportunities instead of it being a chore. Yes. Um, and that's really the way we have to look at it. I mean, even, you know, going to work, we need to look at it as an opportunity. OK, well, I'm alive today. This is what I get to do. This is what I get to experience uh, instead of saying, God. Another day, another dollar, right? I mean, nobody, right. you know, is, is dying, itching to go to work to, to, oh, I can't wait to to lay those sticks in the ground. Yeah. You know, dig those trenches or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, do some data entry. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, just thankful that, hey, this is, you know, I'm here to learn. I'm here, I'm here to evolve. I'm here to uh you know, processes, emotions, love, what have you. But uh, the best thing is is trying new techniques. Constantly having, as you guys said, hey, if, if it doesn't work for you to do breathing exercise all the time, try something new, a different day a week until you can get to these processes where you actually see it's helping you. And you're like, oh, okay, well, this is what I like to do better. So I'm going to do this more versus this. Uh, trying a little bit of everything. No, that's a great point because I mean, you know, way back in this, you know, Rob w- w- was mentioning about how you might do the same gratitude things. Is there is there some new technique I can try? Because we always get that inspiration, whether it's you know Dr. Hickerson and everything you're learning over there, Rob, or, mm-hmm. or the power of eye you sent me and Shelley. That but yeah, can we search out some new things? And I, I think that's a good one too on managing drift. Um, to get some more passion there. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I, I, I think we talked about a lot. Um, you know, hopefully we help somebody and maybe some people latched on to some of these things here for some ideas on how to help people. Um, uh, and any final thoughts anybody's got? Uh, I just want to add that not only, you know, we're discussing mental techniques, but overall your mentality has, and as you guys know, an effect with your uh, physiological body, right? We we have stress pent up that can cause diseases in our body uh, that can cause all kinds of, of things to malfunction in our body. So it's not just the, the brain and the mind we're talking about here, but also um, as far as the physiological aspect of it too as well. Definitely. So yeah, it's all connected. Uh, uh, I got a family member that, Every time she has gastrointestinal issues, it's stress, <laughs> right? The stress thing goes away and then she feels better. But yeah, it's all connected. Yes, the, the mind and the body. Rob, anything for you? 
Yeah, I think this might have to have a, a follow-up episode. We're really, we're talking about the mind. We could come back and probably spend an hour on the body and think through like, you know, there's different things that, you know, men versus women need to do. And in construction, unfortunately, whew, 20 years in, I know a lot of people. I've seen a lot of changes in a lot of people. You know, people do things positive and some things negative. That could be a follow-up or we could talk about, you know, Physical exercise is a good idea for a lot of reasons, or your diet, your sleep. What well, we were talking lightly about it, like just going outside is a good idea. Like there's probably four or five just body things we could talk about this, the flip side to this whole equation of this was just mind. There's the body part too of like, what are you doing? Because what I would tell people that are, you know, my general age in their fifties is not what I'm going to probably tell somebody in their twenties. Right. You know, the, the, the gastro thing. Wow. Yeah. I, I think we can almost do a, a follow-up to this and say, all right, what are some tips and tricks that we could apply directly to construction? Because we do work long demanding hours. It is kind of hard of maybe always making it to the gym, but you know, I think there's some body things we could come back to and dive a little deeper. Definitely. They're all connected for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you, my friends, for coming here and sharing a lot of the personal techniques you guys do and, and hope it really helps some folks out there and hope everybody has a mindful week. Hey there. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave me a review. If you want to connect further, reach out at leaderthink.com.